So Gia Hugh and welcome back to the Soulfarer podcast. My name is Lisa Gallagher and I am here with Siobhan Carroll from the Nerdy Naturopath. She is this amazing medicine woman. You are a naturopath, a herbalist, a priestess, a yoga teacher, a mother, a woman of the land and courageous because you went from being in the city to packing up and moving back to the west of Ireland where you live now surrounded nature and all of those wonderful plants that you work so closely with. So welcome Siobhan and thank you for taking the time to talk. Well, thank you Lisa, thanks for having me and thanks to everyone for listening. Yeah my biggest passion is sharing this wisdom of the plants with people and if no one listens I don't get to fulfill my mission so if there's someone who's going to listen that's great so thank you Lisa for being that person. I think even if there's just one other person tuning in that can have some sort of takeaway, then it's worth their while. So thank you for creating the space and for coming together to share whatever it is that arises today as we discuss. The first thing when I was looking at your story and the work that you do, what led you down this path? So normally there's something that takes us out of life and just moves us into the more holistic path or down the path of herbal medicine. Was there something in particular that really called out to you? There was. Since I was very young, I've always had this deep calling to feel like I was going to change the world in some way. So I decided to study politics in college. I used to want to be the first female Taoiseach of Ireland. It was my dream growing up that I would take on that role. And then I went to work in the United States. I worked on Capitol Hill for a congressman. And I very, very quickly realized that that wasn't where I was really ever going to make a change in the world, that it was consistently about just getting re-elected. The things I was saying over the phone to constituents that were calling in, I just was told basically just tell them whatever they want to hear so that they'll vote for the congressman again. And yeah, so I made a very quick exit from <laughs> politics and did various different things for a while and then found myself in India and trained to be a yoga teacher. And it was more of a like, I don't know, eat, pray, love moment where I was like, oh, this is not what I want to do. I need to go figure out what I want to do with my life. So I bought a yoga teacher training set of nice. I liked practicing yoga, but I never thought I would make my career in this kind of thing. I did grow up using natural medicine. My mom was amazing, is amazing. We used herbs when I was sick and she took me to see a homeopath. So it wasn't unfamiliar to me. I just didn't think it was somewhere that I would have a big impact, you know? So it was when I was in India, I met lots of different people who were studying this involved naturopathy and making an actual career out of these modalities. And it just kind of sparked my interest. So it was when I came back from India that I started studying naturopathy. It was a four-year course. I also did a lot of work and travel in between while I was studying and eventually made it my full-time job and realized on that route that there was a huge difference I could make in this field especially nowadays, more than ever, I feel the um, importance of getting this information in an accessible way to people is going to make a huge impact. You know, and as you said, if it's only just one person who hears it, but if one person hears it and knows that when they're sick, they can empower themselves to look after themselves and know when there's a point where they might need to go to a doctor, but not always relying on someone outside of ourselves to heal us. I think that's really important. So that's that's how I got here, I think. I think that's a really, really powerful statement, like not relying on somebody else to heal us. And I think that's what pushed me into the path as well, because, you know, it was fine going to healers or having sessions with other people. But I think you do arrive at a point where 
you need at least a few basic skills for yourself, you know, at least just to manage your energy, manage your well-being and manage your everyday to day life. And then fair enough, go to, you know, a specialist, go to somebody else if it's more serious. But having those basics accessible is I think it's empowering as well. Definitely mm-hmm. empowers us to come back into who we are and reconnect into the essence of our heritage and all the wisdom that's there hidden under exactly. the surface. Exactly. There's so much wisdom there. And it's, I think it's just about rediscovering that for people. You know, originally when I started working as a herbalist, I was working completely one-on-one with clients, occasionally giving talks and things like that, but it was mostly working one-on-one with people. I still do that, but my focus has kind of shifted a little bit more now into this education field because you know, I would see people for much longer than a doctor. They maybe have 10 minutes. I'll see people for an hour and a half with their first consultation. So it's a long period of time, but there's only so much you can teach someone in that period of time. And the modality only really works when the patient, my clients actually learn what I'm teaching them and take it on board. I'm just a guide and a teacher for them to heal themselves and the plants are there as allies to help them on that journey. But I find by sharing this information in these kind of conversations and in other courses that I teach and everything, it's just another layer of them being able to do that kind of first aid medicine for themselves. Yeah. I remember when I first started learning about plants and then reading the books and learning about all of the different medicinal properties and kind of healing properties that they had. And I love it. It's just so interesting to explore all of the different ones and what they can do. But it's such a different thing then to go out, actually out for a walk or out into the garden and then try and find said plant that is so magical and has all these healing properties and not confuse it with something else. So it's quite a daunting experience. I found it like at the beginning, I was like, okay, I really want to to put my hands in the soil and really connect in personally with the, the medicine. But how, like, where do you even start? How can you do that? And I think it's it's bringing it right back to just the basics. I think it's enjoying First of all, just looking at it like from a perspective of wanting to get to know the world around you, wanting to get to know the trees, wanting to get to know the plants, but maybe just focusing on one at a time or two at a time and not just trying to all of a sudden switch over your lifestyle and then being bombarded with all of these different aspects to try and take into consideration. Yeah, and it can be dangerous too because, you know, so many plants can kill you, you know, (laughs) like it's... And they look similar, don't they? Yeah, so many of them look similar. And, you know, it can be very, very easy to mistake something, you know, really tricky. So for yeah, anyone who wants root to, instead of a hemlock. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you want to be really careful. <laughs> so for those kind of things, like if you want to get started with foraging and with getting to know plants in the wild, you start with something like nettle that's very easy to understand because it stings you when we've grown up knowing what nettles are but you really want to be careful the best way to do it is to go for a foraging class or workshop with someone in real life to get out there and start getting to know the plants and especially in your own local area someone can show you where a good patch of something grows and then you know where you're going back to and you get a familiarity with that individual plant rather than just with the concept of a plant from from a little book so it does take time and patience when I'm suggesting people to get used to working with herbs though the much easier and safer route than starting to forage unless you've got a guide that's going to show you something or that you're very very clear that the plant is what the plant is like a dandelion say for example you know pick a dandelion flower but then there's a lot of false dandelions now look the false dandelions aren't poison but they're not going to get the same medicinal benefit as the what we call teraxacum officinale so 
it can be tricky, but what's really, really easy to do is to start using the things that you have in your kitchen because so many of those are herbal medicines as well. So like something like as simple as cinnamon sticks, you know, it's something we all have in our house. Now it's not a native Irish plant, obviously, but it's basically native to everyone's kitchen nowadays. So it's there, like so many of these things are accessible and cinnamon is a really, really powerful plant. Same goes for things like garlic, that nearly every house has some garlic in it, or ginger. There are all these wonderful plants that are really accessible to us that we often wouldn't think are medicinal, you know? I remember when I was going in to study herbal medicine, I was looking at all the different courses that were available, and there was naturopathy, and there was nutritional studies, and I was quite interested in nutrition, and I thought, you know, the things that I used to heal myself that I had been dabbling in for a while were really things that I was cooking with and things like ginger and garlic. And I didn't realize that they were actually herbal medicines. So I was looking at the nutrition course saying, these are the kind of things I want to learn. And they were like, no, actually, you need to go study herbal medicine. Those are herbs too. <laughs> wow. So I didn't even realize what I was really wanting to study. And so many of those medicinal plants are so incorporated into our lifestyles just from our traditions that we have kind of brought down from various cultures, really. I think that's really empowering as well, that you can really support your health just by adding in one or two different ingredients into your weekly dinners. I think that's part of the overwhelm sometimes when people are trying to be healthier. It's like, it's too much to go and try and have a new shopping list, add in all of these different things that you're not used to cooking with. But if it's a case of just adding a little bit of ginger, adding a little bit of cinnamon to your tea in the evening or different ways that you can incorporate them into just your everyday menu as it is, it just makes it so much more accessible. Yeah, exactly. And so many of the plants that I would use a lot, even fresh plants, are ones that I can just buy them in the the shops. Like, you know, here's a mint plant got my rosemary sitting here on the table and these are really really powerful medicines so mint people are familiar with for digestive issues people know peppermint is going to help with digestive complaints it's even gastrointestinal specialists recommend it now for IBS because they don't really have anything else to recommend so mint has those wonderful properties but it's also brilliant for when you have a cold so if you're drinking a hot tea of mint there's a very traditional formula that herbalists have used for centuries which is yarrow and mint and elderflower and the three of them together but any one of them individually as well when they're drank particularly as a hot tea they're called a diaphoretic so they help our body to sweat and which helps the natural immune system to fight off and clear a virus or bacteria or whatever pathogen is causing you to feel sick so instead of when we take things like paracetamol we suppress our temperature that makes actually the illness last longer. So instead, when we're taking a tea like a diaphoretic, it brings that sweat out and it helps to clear it. So these are called cooling diaphoretic. But then cinnamon and... I did have ginger sitting around there. It's always nice to be looking at them. prepared. Yeah. (laughs) I've always got the plants around me, you know. The ginger and cinnamon are also what we call warming diaphoretics. So you can have a warming tea or a cooling tea, but either way, they're going to bring out that fever and let your body fight it off itself so again like what i said earlier the herbal medicine isn't about me as a herbalist being a healer for you or the plants healing you the plants are there to assist your body's own innate healing mechanisms and that's what i think is so powerful about them and what i think is so missing from our culture nowadays where we're really outsourcing all of our healthcare. i just find that so interesting that you i've never heard of the the elderflower yarrow and mint recipe But what really strikes me about that is 
love absolutely love elderflower and mint now normally associated with a particular cocktail that i like (laughs) to know that it's a really nice tea to take for a cold just really resonates with me whereas i would struggle with the ginger cinnamon and that kind of warmth because it's very hot and it's not a comfortable drink for me to drink i wouldn't naturally go into the kitchen and make it but if i would know that i could put elderflower and mint together and some yarrow root and have a tea and that would be good for my health i'd be really enthusiastic about that and that just makes me wonder because you said that there was a kind of cooling tea and then there was a warming so does it depend on our bodies like are we just kind of naturally dispositioned to kind of one process or another or like the cooling approach or the warming approach? I know that they have something like that in the, the Chinese medicine, but how would yeah. it be like with the Irish traditional plants? Yeah. So one thing just to say with the, this, they call it Sam tea, Sambucus, Achillea and Mentha, which are the Latin names for the three plants, but it's yarrow, leaf and flower that they use in it. So that has the diaphoretic properties and okay. the leaf and flowers of the other as well. And elderberry as well also has great antiviral and medicinal effects but it doesn't have that same diaphoretic effect as the flowers okay. do so it's different. So it's the elderflower it's the blossom and it's for the yarrow it's not the root it's the leaf not and the root, flower the leaf and the flower yeah okay um, so yes constitution constitutional medicine is a huge part of naturopathy natural healing what i studied in college was a lot of chinese medicine ayurvedic medicine a little bit of sort of native american medicine there's some great herbalists like matthew wood who have brought some of that ancient wisdom from that part of the world there is a little bit that comes from old greek medicine which we consider western herbal medicine the irish tradition has been really lost you know when we look back through the history at what what remains from our irish heritage there is a lot of cures that you know different various families have passed down these cures for different things and there is a knowledge of these plants but there isn't that in-depth medical system that we see in other parts of the world because it's just been lost. It's not that it was never there. It's just we didn't have a way of preserving that knowledge. And unfortunately, a lot of it has been lost. What I think is really amazing about the last couple of years, for me anyway, I've seen it around me, is so many people are rediscovering this medicine from within, reconnecting to our Irish roots, reconnecting to Bridget this this year. It's been incredible. So taking back that knowledge from within ourselves and from working with the plants is where we're going, I think, with the Irish aspect of that that being said it is also really helpful to use these systems from other parts of the world because even though they're far away china india america like they all have similar threads that connect them so i feel like the irish western european celtic tradition would weave in there as well similarly so i don't think necessarily that chinese medicine wouldn't work for us because we're not from china you know i do think the same wisdom is there it's just described in different ways Yes. So back to your question about hot and cold diaphoretics, particularly, yes, everyone has a different sort of constitution. Some of us are more hot and some of us are more cold. Some of us benefit from hotter medicines. Some of us benefit from more cooling medicines. But then also on a more specific level, different ailments in different people will respond to different medicines. So this is where you can go really in depth as a herbalist and why it can be really helpful for more severe things, particularly to see a practitioner who can help guide you with those things. Whereas, so say for example with the diaphoretics, if you know that you prefer these kind of cooling things, well that's the one to try because you're listening to your own body's wisdom. What can happen sometimes is it might generally be cold, but say for example to you, you might generally be warm and you might be more attracted to a cold remedy, but then you get an illness that's very cold and damp and you're very shivery 
and you're maybe bringing up a lot of mucus, it's that sort of cold, damp illness rather than a fevery, hot illness. And in that case, it might be better to try a heating remedy like the cinnamon and ginger. You can also mix them together if you want a bit of a balance. So there is different ways of working with it, but it just depends on the individual and what they want to try and what they're dealing with at any given time. So it depends. Absolutely. But you mentioned there it's important to listen into your own body, learn the plants from there. And I know from my own perspective, from being burnt out, I just felt that coming back into connection with my environment helped so much to just stabilize my energy, stabilize my nervous system, just bring me slowly back into a state where I could actually have the energy to sustain myself throughout the day and definitely coming back into harmony with the terrain around me really helped that so aside from the fact that the plants are medicinal when I have a tea that's foraged it's like I'm actually giving my body that information that it's been supported that Mm. it's in harmony with its environment and it sounds strange when I explain it (laughs) I try to explain it in the simplest way but it's like the direct terrain around me supports my well-being and helps me and it's like when we use native plants or when we even just it's not even the plants it's even just the veg buying your veg from local farm as opposed to going into the big supermarkets and getting imported veg it's like it feeds our body the information to say okay we're safe we're supported and that definitely helped my own well-being and my own healing process do you feel that when you work with the plants Totally. I do think so. I think they're, again, like I said before, sometimes some of the native wisdom has been lost. So we rely on these more exotic plants, you know, like adaptogens like Siberian ginseng or ashwagandha and all these fancy things that you can get in a health food shop. But what we're learning is actually a lot of our plants, when they're just used in different ways, can have similar effects. So, for example, nettle, which is obviously very native, growing everywhere here, when you take the seeds and the root of nettle as well as the leaves as a whole plant extract it has similar adaptogenic properties as things like ginsengs and ashwagandha and these other plants from further afield so it can support our whole body our adrenals as well as our detoxification systems in a similar way to these further afield plants so there is i think a lot still to rediscover in that this is sort of a newer way of using nettle that the wisdom is being rediscovered i think I also think that there is something about connecting with those plants around you, even if you're not taking them as herbs, you know, just starting to learn about these plants, going for a walk, just enriches your environment so much. I remember when I first started studying, I was going on a trip down to Cork with a friend of mine uh, for a herbal conference. We were sitting in the car, I think it was maybe my first or second year as a herbal student, and I was looking out and it was May, I was like, look at all those hawthorns, wow, oh, some of the elderflowers are coming out. It was really very exciting. And I had this moment where I turned around to my friends in the car, I said, gosh, I used to just see all of this as just trees, you know? There was this whole new layer of appreciation for the world around me and that that connectedness like I felt like I knew these plants and I was nearly saying hi to them like hey guys oh my god you're coming out already you're starting to bloom this is so exciting and I just think that's a really beautiful thing even when you're not even drinking those teas that are growing around you but just knowing of the trees and seeing them as individuals and getting to know them and their different timings and it just adds a whole another layer of beauty to life I think it does well it brings life to the environment around us as well as you go for a walk it's more entertaining I think when you actually pay attention to the trees around you and you 
especially if you're walking the same path all year round and you see them in winter and then in spring and you're like, oh, now there's buds on the tree, then there's leaves and there's blossoms and you, you sort of follow its journey throughout the year. And it does bring back an element of that magic. And sometimes I think, you know, with the, the folklore stories and the myth- mythological stories that we have, sometimes they can be far-fetched. But I've found that by listening into them and then by just using my imagination, when I go for a walk, it's changed my perspective. Now I walk and I look for possibilities and opportunities. And that's actually somehow weaved into my own life and the way that I approach life. And it's because of those stories. It does change the way that we live. It changes the way that we experience life. And uh, there's so much magic. (laughs) You're actually doing a course on the magic trees, aren't you? Yes. um, So I have a class that is free for anyone who wants it. And it is called Magical Plants of Ireland. We look at eight different plants that just grow all around us. So this is a great first way of getting to know some of these plants. It's an online class and there's only pictures of the plants. Some of them you will recognize, like nettle and dandelion and things like plantain that are very easy to recognize once you know what you're looking for. So that's a really good kind of first step for people to start getting into the plants that are growing around us and learning a little bit about, as you say, the mythology of them. It just adds another layer to, to the understanding of plants, I think. And even something as simple as like learning different various native names for them and it all is just a different way of learning something else about the plant as well as then obviously starting to get to know them and sitting with them and I love talking to plants <laughs> sitting and meditating with them and that's another way to learn more about them too so yeah if anyone wants to sign up for the class I'll make sure you have the link that you can share with people and yeah it's going to be fun it's a great opportunity because I think that when you have a seed even if you once you have that seed of awareness of what the plant is about, what it looks like, that's enough to then start you on your own journey. So even though you're just given the introduction to the plants, it just provides you with that space to then explore and develop your own relationship. And as you say, if you want to talk to the plants, to develop it further, because you know a lot of the plants and the trees they have different medicinal properties. But I find that when I work with particular plants it'll tell you what its property is it'll tell you what healing it has for you and I think when you take the time to sit and just develop a relationship with even a few little plants Mm -hmm. you will find the medicine that it has for you and whether it's just that it brings you a sense of peace it brings you you know a sense of joy whether it actually has an actual medicinal property that you might need to support your own health you know, it's a very personal journey, isn't it? And I know we have a lot of standardization, but at the same time, it is quite personal. Yeah, definitely, definitely. There is a sort of a side note. I think for anyone probably listening to this, they do have that level of self-awareness, these people who are listening into this sort of thing and in, in your community, Lisa. But when I started working with the broader public, I work a bit with A. Vogel, a herbal medicine company, and write blogs for them on a large scale around the UK and Ireland. And they're there's just a different audience that it reaches and a huge amount of people. And I, I didn't really realize it when I started because I do live in a bit of a bubble, but a lot of people don't have that level of self-awareness that they can really tune into that. So if you have that level of self-awareness and you feel like you can sit with a plant and you want to learn from it that way, that is a great way to do it. And I really commend you for that and think that it's something that you need to pursue if that's something that is it sounds like appealing to you because for so many people they just think 
hmm, what do I crave this morning? I crave a cup of coffee because I'm tired and they just, there isn't that link in between. So yes, just I suppose a word of caution for people if they're listening to... Don't go ad hoc with it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go mad now. <laughs> Brewing up your own cocktails with all the, yeah. the magical trees in the forest <laughs> that you meet on your walks. Yeah, yeah, now that's actually another note because when it comes to foraging too, it's not really great to forage plants that are close to a walkway or close to a road or where there might be pollution, where there might be dogs walking around and you know, doing their business around your plant. That's yeah. not the kind of plant that you want to have for your evening tea or in your dinner at all. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and especially like nowadays, so many things are so heavily sprayed with pesticides, all these sidewalks and pavements and everything, anything that's growing anywhere is often heavily sprayed, you know, and those pesticides and various different chemicals are causing another huge layer of problems. I see it a lot in majority of my clients that I see are for menstrual related problems and hormonal problems and those we call endocrine disruptors and xenoestrogens in the environment are a huge problem. Obviously you don't want dog pee in your tea and then like fumes and things from the side of the road as well. You also want to be careful with foraging that you're not foraging anything that might be endangered, that there's only a small patch of it. You know there's a couple of dandelions that have popped up and my local area, but I'm not picking them yet because there's like three dandelions like leave yeah. <laughs> for the pollinators. You know, so, that's a very important you know, point. Yeah. You really want to make sure there's an abundance of something before you take it. You never want to take all of anything. You only want to take a small amount. You want to leave it for other foragers. You want to leave it for the animals and for yeah. the environment itself and for the plant because, you know, if you take all of the elderflowers off a tree, then there's going to be no elderberries. So <laughs> it's really, really important to forage ethically. I think for the safety of foraging, it's very important to actually go with someone who knows first. Yes, I'm, I'm going to share a video that you can learn in 40 minutes about eight different plants and you can start to understand a little bit about the plants. But again, you know, understanding from someone who forages locally, maybe where they might be able to forage that hasn't been sprayed loads or that's, you know, an abundant patch of something or other. It's a good place to start. Just on a similar note, raw diets because there is a lot of juicing and making more veg smoothies. And there's another word of caution there too, because you might think going into a supermarket and picking whatever veg you like and then washing it quickly and peeling it and putting it into the, the blender or however it is that you make it is really, really good for your health. But if it's not organic and it's sprayed, there can be health implications for that too. Yeah, and also what we talked about earlier with the kind of hot and cold and that can be problematic too. So I was really into juicing for a while when I first started studying herbal medicine and I was in for a bit of a rude awakening when I started learning about Chinese medicine and they basically don't recommend eating anything raw, particularly when you're menstruating as a woman, particularly in the winter for everybody, that coldness can really dampen down the digestive fire and can make it much harder for our systems to work in general. It can cause stagnation, which contributes to pain and period pain and various menstrual complaints, but also can contribute to like sore, achy bones. You wouldn't think about just from your digestion. So smoothies can be great. I recommend in winter adding things that are warming, like ginger or cinnamon or something into a smoothie if you really love smoothies. And I also would recommend having them as kind of an afternoon pick-me-up, but not first thing in the morning, because having them first thing in the morning it's just really dampening down that digestive fire for the day. Yeah. And often, probably the biggest problem with smoothies is that people just shove loads and loads of fruit into them, which is just going to cause a huge glucose spike, which is 
really unhelpful for so many different areas for our hunger and our, our blood sugars, but also for our hormones. So yeah, <laughs> lots of different things to consider. But that being said, you know, I do love in, in later in spring things like nettles and cleavers and juicing them and taking them as herbal shots. It's a great way of getting a lot of the plant material into you in a different format. So sometimes it's nice to work with plants. You can make a tea and the water is going to extract different phytochemicals, making them into a tincture, covering them in alcohol. or like buying, like say, tinctures from the health food shop. The alcohol is going to extract various different phytochemicals too. So they're going to have different effects because the different liquids are pulling out different phytochemicals. Then juicing something as well gives a different level to it as well. So there are, you know, lots of different ways you can work with these plants. Eating them whole, obviously, as well, like making a metal soup or something, is another way too. So there are pros and cons. <laughs> there are, and I'm really happy to hear you say that because I know I tried juicing and smoothies and studied vitalist nutrition for a little bit. It just really didn't suit me, and I ended up just putting it to the side because I just couldn't take them. I couldn't take the raw smoothies, like you said. It just didn't didn't work with my body at all the soups would be great the warming food would be great but there was such a push towards raw mm. vital nutrition and it can be sometimes in the extreme you can have some almost dogmatic approaches towards it and I think it's just really important that people know if it doesn't suit you that's okay <laughs> you hit the nail on the head that is the biggest problem and the biggest dividing factor in this whole natural health arena and what keeps people from not feeling empowered like they can do it because so many different people have so many strict views on what they believe and what they believe is right for everybody. I was vegan for a long time and I studied plant-based nutrition and there was a point in my studies I was like yeah veganism is the best and then I had these other teachers being like no like this is the best and I remember having one lecturer telling me you know if you don't eat meat you're definitely going to die before you're 90. I was like oh, where do you get this from like that's crazy. But then, you know, what I have come to understand now is I think all of these different health modalities, whether it's raw food or macrobiotics or paleo or whatever it might be, only raw milk is good, no milk is good, whatever, everyone is individual and everyone changes at different points in our life and different points in our monthly cycle and everything. So maybe one day it is a really good idea to be all vegan one day and maybe the next day someone needs to eat meat and maybe they're really depleted and they need more fats. And like it just varies for every person. That's why it's so important for us to get back to this stage where we are tuning in and understanding what it is our own bodies need. But so many people are so disconnected from that now that it's really difficult to say that to the general public because they just think they need takeaway and sugar because that's what their bodies are craving so it's just so tricky but what I really feel like my vision for the future of this whole field is that we can all get to a point where we're like yes everyone is right and none of us are right and none of us know all the answers and what you say is true for you right now but it might not be true for you next week and yeah. what that other person says might be completely different. You know, my brother went through this meat diet where all he ate was meat with some mushrooms and onions. And I was like, you're literally going to get scurvy. Like, where are your vegetables? <laughs> well, he was really, felt really great on it. So good for him, you know? And so it varies for everybody. And I think we all need to just take a chill pill, <laughs> and a deep breath and say, all right, guys, if that works for you, that's good, you know? Yeah, I think a hundred percent. I think if we could be a little bit more accepting that everybody's body is different, everyone's needs are different. So there is differences in the in the time of the month. There's difference in different stages of your cycle, a different age, 
Also the land that you live on. I lived in Europe for a while and I was a vegetarian for years and was perfect. Came back to Ireland, really, really struggled with that. It was like being in a different land, being in a different climate. My body needed something different. And I think it is, it comes down to listening in and honoring, you know, being a little bit strict with yourself, having an element of discipline that you don't just always go for the sugar or always kind of just say, well, my body just really, really wants a bag of Skittles. So that's what it's going to get. Yeah. Like having a little bit of resistance there, resilience, but yeah, listening in and actually just feeding your body what it wants and what it needs. But how do you get yeah. there? So what's the first step? If there's one yeah, takeaway from today... I- I haven't got it all figured out myself even. I have a three-year-old daughter. She just turned three. And I'm so inspired by her because she, you know, half of something in her mouth and then pretend like, I'm full. And we've just so lost that. I think because we've been told, finish your dinner or whatever it might be, we're told to eat what, what to eat and all that. We've just become so disconnected from our bodies and what we need to feed them. So I don't have an answer for it. But what I do think is really, really helpful place to get started is simply getting a little mint plant in the shops or something like rosemary or whatever it might be or picking some dandelions that are growing in your garden and making a herbal tea i loved what you said about the herbal tea earlier i had one of my teachers who said to me that the act of making a cup of tea is the first act of self-care a lot of people bring into their lives and i just think that's so powerful so it brings in that element of just sitting with yourself with your body and taking that time to boil a kettle pour a cup of tea and sit and drink it so I think that's a really great place to get started yes absolutely and I think that that's a wonderful piece of advice to leave people with today so thank you so much Siobhan for taking time out of your day to share your story to share your wisdom with us and for being part of the Soul Fair podcast thank you 